immersive you should feel like you're in the story and what you do and the way you behave in that story should change the story choose your own adventure to be in your own adventure and i'm sure people listening will say well that's called life but yeah and that's quite what we're trying to create here is something which feels real welcome back to the genuine x podcast in this week's episode we speak to guy from charisma.ai about the future of storytelling and how narrative design is evolving thanks to AI. We touch on the success of shows such as Black Mirror's Bandersnatch and see how Netflix has been raising expectations in the narrative storytelling space. We also discuss the potential ethical ramifications that such immersive and bespoke storytelling might hold for the creator and its user. Enjoy! Uh, welcome back to the Genuine X podcast, Guy. Welcome, uh, Guy from Charisma AI. Thank you so much for being with us, um, Guy. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about Charisma AI? Sure. Uh, pleasure. Thank. Great to be here. I think. Um, I mean, Charisma is really something which we are. Uh, it's a technology we've evolved over the last few years, um, and it, it addresses a problem that I've felt for many years, which is that. We sort of needed a way to create these new interactive stories that are um, emerging as a major trend, I think, now, uh, and to create them easily, to put the power into the hands of creatives, of, of writers, um, authors, and, you know, the storytellers, rather than have, um, have to rely too much on, on technical folk you know i think the best interface for anything really should be invisible and uh that's what we were trying to create so you know charisma is that platform to write into that then um outputs games interactive stories mobile apps because you've already you already actually touched on something really interesting there which is that writers to generalize slightly don't tend to be that technical nor they want to they want to be kind of comfortable writing in a piece of software that they're mm they use all the time so i mean if they use they use microsoft word and they're happy with that because their process is about just getting the story down that suddenly they've got to master new pieces of software so the usability's got to be really must have to be really simple, simple. yeah it is it, it's got to be simple and i think we um we looked at a lot of different platforms that are out there you know if you're writing a, a movie tend to write it into final draft or something like that and so we were looking at how that works and how that you know, writing platform works for the movies. Um, ours has to be completely different because, in essence, it's the difference between a linear and a non-linear story. Uh, and so we can't have a linear, you know, sort of writing platform for something that inherently is non-linear. But you're right, it needs to be absolutely simple because what the what we want the writers to do is focus on good characters and creating good characters that people want to talk to rather than, oh, where's that button at the top of the screen? Yeah, and just and just, and just to be kind of kind of clear of exactly what um, the Charisma.ai platform does, it is a uh, non-linear story writing tool. Yes, essentially, exactly that. You know, and uh, and it what it focuses on is is dialogue. So it focuses on um, characters, uh, on the ability to create dialogue for characters, not only so that the 
the audiences are talking to an individual character, but then also they might be talking to multiple characters. So it needs to be able to handle some quite complex um, sort of story structures, I suppose, all based around characters. And then just to give an example, just for anyone who's not familiar with an interactive story, like how does it differ from your more traditional story? I think in, in an ideal world, and the goal we're aiming for uh, is that um, a traditional story is something that is read or seen. You know, you are a voyeur or a reader of that story. Um, while it may be very sort of powerful and emotionally engaging, it's still a monologue. It's a monologue between um, the book author or uh, or the TV creator or the movie creator to you as a member of the audience. The interactive one is more of a dialogue and it's a dialogue where you are part of the story. In an ideal world, you're in it. You're in that world. You're talking to the characters. You're immersed in the story. And most importantly, what you say to the characters influences the story itself so you have proper almost from a game games industry perspective you have you have agency in that experience um and i think that sort of that that adapting the story to what the audiences uh, uh audiences interactions are is is the main difference do you think this kind of evolution into interactive storytelling is born out of a uh, sort of human quest for connection or a technological possibility? I think it's come at a really interesting time. Um, you know, we, the, the internet as a communications medium has uh, arguably either brought us together or pulled us apart as individuals mm. or a bit of both in different circumstances. Um, I think, I think part of Funnily enough, part of what's really driving it is that over the last 10 years, we've seen some brilliant step forwards in drama, mm. you know, brilliant drama on TV. Um, I think things like Netflix, Amazon um, have fundamentally changed the way mm. we think about stories and visual stories where each episode is longer, series can run for longer, we mm. can binge yeah. where we couldn't before. All of those behavioural elements are bringing us closer to the characters that we we watch. And what we see is that when a series finishes, there is this um, sort of outpouring of grief, mm. of loss, you know, oh my God, what am I going to do? Game thrown as finished. I, you know, I can't believe I'm never going to spend another, you know, minute with this particular character. And and that's an emotional connection. So if we can maintain those emotional connections by creating interactive stories around them that bridge the gaps while the show is off air or while the movie's uh, away from screens, then uh, then we're filling the filling a void. Mm -hmm. And you know, from our experience of of of, um, of this, it's something that people love. They mm. really it, it, it resonates with them because because in some ways the characters are interesting as well. The characters have got stories to tell, and we like hanging out with interesting people. And to jump to conclusion slightly on that as to where the technology can go, it presumably means that there doesn't have to be an end because the the creator creates a scenario and the characters and the AI and the interaction with the AI can presumably be endless. Yes, it can. Um, it, 
I, I was struck many, many years ago by something a guy said to me was, you don't need to describe the world. You just need to describe the rules of the world. And if you apply that in this instance where there are rules in a, in a particular story that happen or don't happen or can't happen, and then there are characters within that story that will behave in certain ways but not in other ways, then really it's a bunch of levers that the audience or the player can, can, can play with. And that creates an almost infinite sort of set of possibilities within that. Yeah, that's um, very interesting. And, you know, with advances in machine learning and, and AI that we're seeing at the moment, that sense of automation is allowing for more fluidity uh, of the content. It doesn't, it's not just then about there being static content with, you know, pre-written um, millions of different options. It's now you can set a certain rule and that rule will then influence something else that will influence something else. Above all, it's that the, 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 the participant, the audience member should feel like they, um, feel like that they are they feel like they have freedom you know, mm. freedom within that world and if we can do that then then uh, then i think we've got a good experience it's a, yeah so exactly it's, it's like all of ai and when we talk about ai in other contexts also automation it is the idea of the the human still has a role because the human is defining the parameters of 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 the automation but actually from a storytelling point of view it's exactly that it's it's characters and scenarios. It's the rules of the world, and actually, apparently, that is how um, Game of Thrones was written. That he allowed the characters to make natural choices, have natural consequences based on their actions, rather than writing a complete arc. So, for all of the criticism of how it ended, the journey was much more interesting because all of the characters behaved in a way that was right for their character, and the story kind of went where it needed to go. It was just ending it that was that was the kind of the problem. So that, and obviously, that's a linear story. But actually, if you apply those rules. To characters in an interactive environment, presumably, and again, I'm jump, kind of jumping to conclusions. That means that we can get to some really interesting places in the future. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think I think uh, there's it, there's there's a bit of um, game theory game theory in that, in the sense that um, characters can lose, you know, and it, it's interesting to think about a book where really you can't sort of fail reading a book, other than putting it down. And not coming back to it but in a game if you fail if you lose your three lives or whatever it is then it's game over and if you then merge that with the storytelling what does that do and in many ways perhaps in in, in that instance with game of thrones it, you know a couple of characters died because the con they had consequences of what they said and they felt the consequences and game over for those characters which is possibly why it felt so brutal was the consequences were um were very impactful in that scenario. Whereas if you look at a, a, a soap opera or something which has more longevity to it, you know, people can get away with more. It's more conceited, isn't it? They kind of conceit their way around to keep characters involved and, and all of that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. which is why it's less successful. What's, is there a version of what medium is doing this best? Because I would presume video games always a reference to this because they are the most interactive. But obviously that has problems with the level of interaction dialogue and stories often rightfully criticized in video games is that the medium doing this best oh gosh um good question i think i mean what what interests me 
specifically in this is pairing the story right down back down to its dna and then building it back up again so i think in the spirit of marshall mcluhan you sort of choose your medium based on the message that you want to sort of relay and the story you want to tell um if the if the story is maybe very rich visually then more of a you know games console uh platform would be more appropriate whereas um if you were looking at something which is very much more around communication where you're you're communicating with a character and it's about what you what you say mm. um then possibly mobile is better mm. because that's what we're used to um i i mean i i I have a, 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 a sort of number of conversations with people about the definition of immersion, for example. And part of me believes that, you know, if I'm sent a text message, very short text message to my mobile phone, at the right moment in time, by the right person, and in the right set of circumstances, that is going to be the most immersive text that I'll ever, you know, immersive possible experience ever. And, you know, could change my life, depending on what that information is. I think at the moment we look at media, mediums like sort of VR as being fully immersive because it is from a technical perspective, but from a creative perspective, um, that choice of platform is going is to, should be, should be made based on what story we want to tell. Um, I think... You know, mobile. I, I, I've always loved. I, I love mobile. I've always loved mobile. I think it's a, it's a great, it's a ubiquitous uh, platform now, and there are great stories being told or experiments by people like sort of Episode Interactive in the, in the states, which are very simple, sort of two D, you know, animation. But they're, they're going nuts. Even you know, the Love Island app, you know, recently brought us into, uh, brought fans of the show into sort of. Uh, closer to the characters that they love on TV or hate on TV. So that's quite interesting as well in terms of how AI can create stories with chatbots to make them seem real and bring you into a scenario. And people are addressing it around the outside to try and add extra value when really that's the stuff that's got real immersive potential and value to it, right? Yeah, and there's something really um, simple here, which is that Everything that we've experienced and I've experienced in previous projects is that the, the the more integrated you get that story, the more powerful it is across multiple media. Mm. So in other words, if you do a TV series and then bolt on the interactive, it's not going to be as strong as if you're in the room as the show is being mm. developed with the script writers and they are tying in the TV series story in with your uh, in with the mobile story. And if that happens, uh, it is an exponential jump in engagement, in uh, fandom, you know. We've seen huge increases just into the TV viewing audiences if, if you can tie that together because people love it and they stay with that brand mm. longer. Thinking about it, like interactive storytelling requires a lot of the individual to be involved, right? It's a bit of commitment in a weird way. And I'm more thinking specifically about something like Red Dead Redemption, which had an AI driving the characters in the background. So your interaction with them was totally different. There was a very long narrative, which took, for me, three months to do. So if I'm going to get involved in that, I have to really commit. To, do you know what I mean? Like it's a real decision to be involved in that. But it was such a rewarding story to go through. And it, I wouldn't say it was fully immersive, but it was 
catered towards the character I chose to develop in depending on how good or how bad I was. So that interaction just led, created a, a really lovely layer, which makes it makes me want to revisit it again and again and again, which I guess is why immersive storytelling becomes so intriguing because it's never quite the same twice. Yeah. And I mean, listen to the way you've just described it. You're, you know, having spent three months in a, in a game, you're going to do it all again just to see if it's different. I love that. And, um, and, and, I think also slightly what you're touching on is 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 a commitment of time that we have as audiences into particular media. Um, you know, there is a strong feeling that, oh, gosh, it's all got to be nanosecond mm. uh, engagements. And yet then suddenly binge watching, yeah. you know, comes on board and we're dedicating entire weekends to watching a, a series. Uh, and I, it, it's quite simple what it is, which is a good story. If there's a good story, mm. we will spend time in it. With good characters, we'll spend time with them. If they're not, then um, then we have them for 10 seconds and, and, and that's our that's our blip. And it feels like, the like as you say, with the development of Amazon and Netflix, like the length of a film was very much dictated by the cost it by the cost of creating it right so we didn't necessarily want an hour and a half long story like and now netflix has allowed us and amazon to have our eight hour long story if we so choose because we can just sit there and consume it in a really immersive way which is exactly how i like to do it and did a box set last weekend on a saturday it's just great it's exactly how i want to do it there's something quite interesting uh between uh, you mentioned earlier a little bit about bandersnatch and the thing I find really interesting about Bandersnatch is it's the upgrade of interactive storytelling from the 80s, if you see what I mean. So the book itself was possibly one of the only examples of how you can lose in a book. Like It is a game-formed book. And then we've just upgraded the medium but kind of kept the exact mechanic of it for the modern time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, those choose-your-own-adventure books... Um were referenced by Netflix when they launched Bandersnatch and mm. is now is you know subject to legal trademark uh, discussions at the moment because oh, it yeah. is really? tra- Ian Jackson Steve Jackson it's Ian Livingston, Livingston Steve Jackson, Jackson are yeah. The, yeah yeah they're I the didn't ones. know that I mean they they I love them Ian Livingston who is you yeah. know, an absolute genius and is you know the, the guru of the of the British games industry quite rightly and uh, and those were those those were the, those were the those were specific series but you know, choose your adventure as a trademark. Uh, and if, um, you know, I mean, that will resolve itself as it resolves itself legally. I think more more interesting is that, is again, this thing about how, how cycles come around. Mm. And um, almost with those books, the question was, who am I? Yeah. And and that, that, that for us has been a... Um, a really interesting discussion over over the last few years and we we we're still flexible about it because i could be the person who controls the story in the book by turning the page deciding to turn to a certain page in bandersnatch by choosing the next branch or the next piece of video that is played but i am not in the story in no. that position i'm positioned outside of it as some form of controller um, and that has significant creative limitations. F- to be truly immersive, you should feel like you're in the story. You know, I mean, that's surely the the, the entry bar. Uh, and what you do and the way you behave in that story should 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 change the story. So I think, um, you know, it's a subtle 
word change to be maybe from being choose your own adventure to be being your own adventure. Uh, I'm sure people listening will say, well, that's called life. Well, yeah, and that's quite what we're trying to create here is something which feels real. And if if uh, if we if we um, if we take a uh, if we take life as our source of inspiration for a lot of our stories, then uh, I don't make any apologies for that. I think it's a good thing. Because the the, the interesting parallels here is that actually there are out of the digital world there are uh, groups who are creating these very immersive experiences so i'm thinking specifically of punch drunk which obviously is more of you as a a voyeur watching but you are able to select the stories you go around and you're kind of and occasionally there was one moment when i went when i was pulled from the crowd and given a direct experience with a character where they recognized me and it blew my mind like it was it was terrifying and awesome in the same time because they broke that wall uh it's awesome. I mean, it is it is a really visceral experience, and you are challenged um, fully yeah. in so many ways. And to the point that the, the evening uh, I did it, there were at least two people who sort of pressed the you know get me out of here button, um, and uh, and did not enjoy it. Yeah. And there is an element of that with immersive theatre. You know, I think. Um, Immersive theatre is wonderful because I think there is a there is a sense of mm. of gameplay yeah. in those, and um, you know we've done we've done a little bit of just R and D work with Punch Drunk, and I love I love what they do. Uh, we were working with um, a company called Parabolic, who uh, have have a, an immersive theatre production set in the Second World War about how that might adapt into a game and the answer is relative more more easily than one ima- might imagine because in some ways immersive theater writers and producers are thinking about the story as a game because they cast you in that and to do that you have to uh look at multiple um multiple options some of them are static um like physical sets but almost you know Martin, you were talking about AI and how AI influences it. In, in immersive theatre, a lot of that AI in inverted commas is, is are the actors. Yeah. Because they're able to sort of, you know, be fluid and change the story on the fly. Um, and there is another, indeed, there is a, you know, there are a sort of game theatre mm. producers uh, who, who do that crossover really well. I've always loved theatre as a way to to think about stories in an immersive context. And immersive theatre is is... is you know, there's great stuff going We're on. We're just there seeking right now. to replicate it. Yeah, because the way that works is that the actors, it's it's improvisation. It's almost like we need AI to be like artificial improvisation. You need you need the ways that kind of how can we replicate that through technology, which is to get to that sense of um, improvising on the spot and taking the narrative where it needs to go within the, within the constraints, which obviously a human being human being can do. But that sort of brings me to the kind of the key differentiator, as I understand it, is that is the AI element because we've had, like I remember like interactive CD-ROMs like Sega CD, like awful games like, you know, like Night Trap and all that kind of stuff, which are just like, it's a bit of a kind of if option A, then go to video clip B kind of scenario where it's just playing a series of video clips. And that's kind of been around for, for literally decades, going back to the kind of the world of CD-ROMs. Is the AI is presumably, is that, is that, is that's the new bit, right? That's the smart bit that's, 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 around now yeah it's a it's a smart bit it's also a huge umbrella you know Mm. ai at the moment is being used as a term to describe pretty much you know smart coding um 
which you know in some ways is a bit of a misnomer and it, it covers a multitude of sins it, it 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 really does i think in this context gosh there are so many different ways in which um in which this can be used i mean from a from from one level which is automatically generating content which is probably at the cutting edge of where things are and um brings with it a whole set of questions through to you know uh more mechanical ai around a non-player character in a game that behaves slightly in a slightly freer way than what you were describing where rather than it being stuck in a particular sort of set of if no yeah a b you know those those choices are more fluid and they're based on um on the evolution the learning of how the player has played that game um you know so i think there are there are, there are so many different ways that we can see um that and you know up to up to fictional worlds like westworld you know where you've got ai generated robots populating um old western towns and and creating sort of you know ai generated theme parks um I'd love to say that was a long way away, but I have a feeling it's closer than we might Probably think. Probably in VR, there's aspects of that that could be. Again, you get the level of immersion, you get the level of presence, and then you bring in a level of uh, interactivity in terms of decision-making, then yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Red Dead Redemption in VR, you're, yeah. you're, 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 you're going to be quite close to Westworld yeah, in, it's in not some ways. Yeah, for sure. Um, Which brings in quite an, the interesting thought around ethics in immersive storytelling, right? And I mean, we've spoken before on this podcast about ethics within VR and how because VR is quite a, a punchy medium, if it's working, it can affect your brain chemistry in ways which could be slightly unexpected or quite forced. I would imagine with immersive storytelling, it's about putting out ideas that could possibly sit in the wrong context and therefore create opinions which are maybe not uh not what was sort of originally thought or anything like that it's just quite an interesting area yeah i mean ethics is something that um that we think about a lot um and it's a and and sort of everyone should at the moment i think because because technology is moving head so forth and, I, and i've and I've, I've i've referenced the line in jurassic park before about you know just because you can doesn't mean that you should yeah um to paraphrase i love that it, one it, it's you know we need to we need to just we need we need to think about the potential impact mm. of what we are providing our audiences with because um they are impactful and you know vr is the first medium ever that takes over our senses mm. you know i sit in an imax i know i'm in an imax but if i'm in vr and there's a plank that i'm walking along and i've got a 30 foot drop i feel proper vertigo and it's mm. overridden every sense that I have, which is why not only in the short term, you know, the, like the example you, you gave of, of emotional sort of overtaking, but long term, you know, for good, it can be used to mm. to reconstruct post-traumatic stress disorder. And, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, that is rewiring the brain, yeah. which is which is significant. And I think we need to be very careful about the content and the stories that we put out in that medium. Traditionally, again, if you look at, you know, new media always tends to go for horror and roller coasters. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's horror, it's a roller coaster. Fine. Um, if this is proper horror, uh, then, 
and and you know we know when we're walking into that knowing that we that our experience could re- rewire someone's brain then there needs to be there needs to be care also in storytelling and with ai you know think of fake news i forget what it is it's about 80% of company reports or sorry not company reports but company press releases are now generated in some form by by ai that's a huge number and you know and easy to do and i was looking at a um uh, I, I mean, anecdotally, I was, I was um, doing that whole thing we did with our parents of helping them with with IT because apparently yeah, we're, we're all in yeah. IT and we know how to fix a printer. Um, but there was a uh, my mum had a um, a sort of browser takeover bit of software on there, and it was it took me an hour to get rid of it. Not only because of the the hook into the browser, but because normally what you do is you you know, Google around it and find out about this. And what they'd done was they'd taken over all of the sites with, you know, little packets that you had to download to remove that particular piece of virus. Well, you can bet that they were not going to remove it. They were going to exacerbate the problem. And, you know, all of that content you could see was generated automatically. So again, we're in this sort of fake news world where where we have to be my my view is that countries like Finland are doing this right, which is educate folk. Yeah. You know, educate folk to spot the fakes yeah. and to know that they shouldn't believe everything that they see. Yeah. And to see where the opportunities in AI are for everyday folk. And yeah. for us, it's it's not you know it it it's about creating, um, for example, creating ways to. Uh, to alleviate writer's block for a writer, mm. for example. If we can create something which can sort of riff on what the author's saying, not to create the story, but to give them options mm. in a complex environment, then uh, that's a good way. To recreate the story itself and put it all out as fake news, that's not a good way. It occurs to me that there are very, very strict ethical practices around science laboratories. The way that you do any kind of medical advancements in a lab... I know, I know a few people who work in labs. Very, very strict in terms of what you can and can't do. Technology is crossing over into that world and should and could borrow the ethics from the medical and the science world in, in the, what we're doing. Because we're no longer just writing code to do very rudimentary games. We're doing some pretty fundamental things which, as you said earlier, are affecting people in pretty profound ways but it's it's kind of boundless there are no boundaries you can put any kind of vr experience out into the world we can now as you've as you've mentioned previously do programmatic audio where people can say anything that we want them to now and it's believable uh, and there are no there are no rules around that at the moment guiding it is is the complete worst well, it's the wild west the I mean, there are, there, are, there are so many, there are, you know, there are a lot of examples about this and, you know, current at the moment with electric scooters, you know, in the, in, in the UK, they're, they're illegal at the moment. Um, in different countries in Europe, they're illegal. But what's happened is that the sort of the business advancement has leapt ahead of the law. Now, that is not something necessarily new, but we need to think about it. There are certain things that, you know, perhaps when ai is being trained and i think i i think there is enough uh, enough pointers um to show that ai within elements of ai within google might be being trained on you know books that they've scanned in 
okay, where's the revenue back to the authors for that? Now, it's not a model that is selling the book. That's a traditional one, but it's still there. Are, there's still copyright material that is subject to traditional copyright laws. Now, regardless of the fact of whether you're using a book for particular purposes in its entirety or reselling it, or whether you're using it to train sort of something down the track, there still needs to be the principles in place that um, that recompense the people who have contributed to it. Uh, and I have a similar sort of view, funnily enough, on the way that, that Google does um, 360-degree scans of museums and art galleries. You know, the, the, those, those organizations put this out for the public goods, so they do this as an open source, and that's brilliant. Okay, but if I go into, say, the 360-degree view of a particular museum on Google and I look at the Street View version, there's a nice little copyright notice, copyright Google. Now, again, maybe now that's not such a big issue. But as we move into VR and we do get that sense of, you know, emotional feeling of being in VR because the frame rates are up and everything, what does it take for someone to call time on that or at yeah. least to call call pause while we work this out um because i for one would hate you know for, for that to be when the last museum on the world is starting to close its doors because everyone's on uh, you know viewing all of this artwork on google that doesn't seem right to me yeah. as a value well no no immersion no presence no context you're sitting at your desk you know you're coming back to the idea of an experiential environment just watching something small and on a screen is taking away all the other things of the sort of sense of scale the material values the kind of the smells the sounds the communal experience all of those things add up to um a level of immersion a level of presence and how much you actually you enjoy in this instance a museum space I and mean, it's much more than just oh look at the kind of the look at the kind of the 3d world and and from a society perspective you know, let's get that piece in in there as well. There should be a social contract, if you like, that 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 says if if big tech is going to use uh, material, then work out the way to keep the ecosystem running. Don't try and don't try and hoard it. Um, I think that's a you know that's straight that's a bullseye of ethics. It's it's in that space. You know? So presum so presumably, I mean, you talked about text messaging as as, as being the most immersive storytelling earlier on and you know talking about facebook facebook has messenger and whatsapp and we should just disclaim facebook is a client of ours and we have done things with zuckerberg on stage in the past um but presumably there are integrations of the charisma ai platform into things like whatsapp and messenger on the horizon which theoretically could make aspects of that more interactive and smarter i mean i guess we're talking chatbots here to a to sort of yeah, if it's again, if it's appropriate for the story, uh, and I think there's a, there was a you know the old the old movie that Michael Douglas movie The Game mm. was 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 always something Great that I sort of occasion, yeah occasionally sort of rewatch as of the power of I don't know what it was immersive storytelling immersive theatre all of that stuff pulled together, um, and uh, and 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 the the sequence of events that was created in that story to generate you know without sort of spoiling it what what happens um uh to the guy i think yes again you know it, we would use we can use concepts like whatsapp you know you behavior the people are used to talking in certain ways and so we write for those ways um 
you know, if there's a certain sort of style that is more WhatsApp um, and we can tell a particular story using that form, then it's going to feel, you know, I hate to use the word sort of genuine and authentic, but it's what it is. It, it, and again, it's back to the message matching the medium. Um, there's no point in my mind of putting, um, you know, 500 words of text slapped into a WhatsApp you know single message it just is not appropriate but if you can create dialogue which is very much more responsive to the mood that the the person's in then you're going to get a better experience and if we can and if we can do you know if we can retell Shakespeare like that then let's retell Shakespeare like that you know yeah. that's bringing it to a new form yeah which people, are, ex on. people yeah. are exploring different ways of of of, of um playing out the stories of Shakespeare and there has been interactive versions where they've taken like the characters and you can have dialogues with them and that's been kind of experimented with in the past. I've seen versions of that. So more PR exercises than anything is just kind of reasonably interactive but it feels like if someone could bottle the um, the characters and again the rule, what are the rules of Shakespeare's world and start to explore it in a modern world which is more rather than just transplanting it in kind of time which is typically the way that people reinterpret Shakespeare is how can you actually take those, take those characters and interact with them and where do, where do they go and that was certainly a very interesting expression of it yeah but, and we're you know disclaimer we're working on something something uh, along right. those lines uh, at the moment in, and, and, but again the key thing is not in a sense of gimmicky that says oh look you know here's Shakespeare on charisma it's it's how does what we do better convey the meaning of that play so that people get it, so that they properly understand what it is. And again, you know, we were talking a bit about how, say, a Shakespeare play, um, if it is updated to be set in uh, modern London, then it's going to make a little bit more, it's going to resonate more with people who live in modern day London because the setting is more contextually appropriate and they can draw the links with their own experiences and therefore draw the link with the text that Shakespeare wrote. Um, so that then makes sense because you're furthering the understanding of that text. And again, if we can if we can yeah. craft that in that medium, then it'll work. I suppose you change the um, the culture surrounding it, but the human condition remains the same, right? Yes. So, so what it is to be human hasn't changed. Yeah. Just the, the, everything around us and the culture has changed. And that's that emotional connection I was talking yeah. about. You know, how do you how do you how do you create an emotional connection? If you're if you do set it, I mean, arguably, if you were to set it in, uh, you know, in, in its original context people might modern day folk might struggle to then draw the connection of how that was because they don't have that link to what people how people actually behaved in that time um arguably i mean you know i think it's a that's a whole other de debate um i think it goes back to what to to our sort of slight mission which is you go back to the dna of the story and and you pick up you pick it up from there and then evolve it back um and if you can evolve it back with with that sense of emotional engagement or that sense of soul, um, but bringing you know all the good stuff that new technology allows us to to do, then uh, then it's interesting, you know. And then if if you were going to look into the future, what would you predict moving forwards in this space? <laughs> 
Um, I've always been criticised for living in the future, not looking there. And I, I think, you know, that can be just as bad as, as, as you know, being in front of the wave as being on it or behind it. Not, sorry, not on it, being being behind it. Um, being on it's great. Uh, I think, you know, a, a sort of, a fool tends to predict the technology because um, everything is, is evolving uh, so unpredictably in some ways. Uh, so maybe, you know, the, the, the future is going to be unpredictable is the sort of get out clause. Um, that said, I think that as we, I'm, I'm, as, as we sort of, as we see generations grow up that are native in all of these things, it will naturally change generations' behaviour. And so to have, um, you know, a really diverse demographic of gamers around the planet is now, you know, to have a realisation that that is that case is not now. And we need to do more to, to show quite how awesome that format is. Um, I think, you know, within the tech world, it's a question of probabilities of certain things happening or not happening. Um, huge debate about, you know, the singularity in AI. Does it even exist? Could it even exist? A lot of people say yes, a lot of people say no. Um, personally speaking, I would like to see a prediction where the creative industries are very much more involved in, in the evolution of technology and brought into it recognizing the importance of why that should be the case um and i've i've you know i've mentioned in in an article or two about how i have issues with um you know the the, the challenges that some technologists and technology companies pick up around trying to replicate creativity using technology i get sort of why they're doing it but also, I think, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I think that's why we are, um, why 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 we are human, you know, We're, and and that and that and that creativity actually is at the core of technology, and sort of not the other way around. Well, that's the bit that can't be replicated in theory, because I did see that an agency did do an AI creative director, which I'm apparently that's the one bit emotions and creativity is apparently the one bit that AI can't do well i mean there, you know there's a book called the creativity code which which says that it can and that creativity can be codified uh into software and and i i i take exception to it um because because you know what because i'm human yeah and for no other reason uh um i think that that there is we we we, we need to if we are to evolve in fact this is more of a sort of prediction as a, as a desire. I think there are increasing numbers of um, folk who are working to unify the creative industries and the technology industries and have us working together and bridge those gaps so that there is no sort of sense of us and them. Um, and God knows I've seen that in very practical senses throughout my career where, you know, technical engineering teams are highly dismissive of, of creative folks and vice versa. Mm. And, and we really, I think for the good of all of us, we need to, we need to come together more. Um, now, you know, that sounds like 
sort of uh, high, you know, high-level talk. But in practical terms, it means doing things like Oxford Brookes University has just pulled together their computing and their their creative industry, their creative arts, um, you know, courses all under one roof, and it's a shared roof, and there is no distinction between the two. So you start to offer more. Um, joined up education between the two you shouldn't have you know programming courses just for boys at, at, at age nine i mean that's wrong and it's easily overcomable psychologically to be able to get the girls involved at that early stage so that we're bringing in more diversity into that because if so much of what is of, of these algorithms and so forth that are being written are written by a very niche and usually white male uh you know, demographic, then they will influence and they will skew and bias towards that. And that is, that is, that, you know, for the good of us is, is not, we shouldn't be developing these sorts of things in a bubble. It needs to have more, more influence because that is more reflective of who we are. You know, it's, it, we, we, we see that all the time. We work with lots of, we work with lots of startups and they're very, very smart in a lot of ways. But whenever we walk into these offices all around, I mean, all around the UK, mostly, there, it's always young lads and the stuff they're doing is very very smart but it's always spaceship simulations and it's all just the same sort of derivative kind of stuff it's not thought through beyond the kind of technology i did do a i, I mean i just finished a a fellowship with this a grouping of southwest universities um called the southwest content uh creative technology network and it was on automation and we had i think 24 different fellows involved in that um ranging from you know artists through potters through ai coders through you yeah. know all sorts of different disciplines all looking at the same topic which is what do we do about automation because ultimately ai is 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 the means to the end you know so we can look at ai but it's the means it's not the end we need to look at automation is the end and that's the piece we need to focus on because ai is going to get us there and if we but we don't know if we don't know where there is um then we can't plan for it so again how do you uh how do you evolve you know pottery is one of the you know what's the impact of automation on pottery by the way it's significant yeah you know i mean robot robot producing 3d know, printing 3d printing is significant on agriculture on vertical farming on all these different areas it's that automation piece which is important and we had a brilliant cohort of very diverse people who were thinking about it um, and as a result you know the level of thinking was um I, was soulful yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I go back to it again yeah. you know we were we were thinking as as humans about um about topics which were quite quite unique and then if you um if you could recommend one book for anyone who's listening what what would you recommend um so i have to expand it to a couple yeah <laughs> i currently like a slightly obscure recent book called software arts by warren sachs which um is a is quite an academic piece uh, book but it's a, well it is an academic book uh, about um, why the liberal arts is actually at the centre of technology always has been and always should be rather than the other way around. And Interesting. It goes, it goes, it sort of goes off on that. Other than that, I think the more imagination fueling pieces, um, I, uh, I think um, Douglas Hofstadter's Gerd Lescher-Bach uh, is always a, a seminal text, if you like maths, 
then brilliant. If you don't, then skip the mass bit and just move to the bit conversations between Achilles and a tortoise. Um, (laughs) I studied Spanish, so I love magic realism and, and Borges has sort of these wonderful infinite, infinite looping stories that I think have influenced my sense of infinite looping, um, interactive stories. And then uh, finally, really, there's a love, a, a short story I, I, I discovered for myself um, only a year or so ago, which, which surprised me enormously because it's by Roald Dahl, who I grew up with and loved and reread endlessly, both children and uh, his adult works called The Great Automatic Grammatizator, um, which is about uh, a machine that can ingest a book and then recreate another book based on the style of that book. Um, oh, wow. And, uh, you know, so it, it it's sort of, I got to the end of it, holy shit, I didn't realise Roald Dahl wrote sci-fi. Uh, but that's that's sort of what it is. And, and the reason why it's a good read is it not only foresaw uh, AI applied to storytelling and all these discussions we're having today, but the end of it starts to look at what the impact is on publishing. Which is something as you know, yeah. ex Penguin book person employee, I, I'm is dear to my heart. So he's sort of thinking about again that soulful yeah. piece around what does this do to the soul of what what we're doing if you can automate yeah. writing, you know. Yeah. So I've, I, it's a short story. It's lovely. Great. Wow, there's that, some great recommendations there. Thank you for that, and thank you for your time. And that was that was that was really 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 good. Pleasure. Well interactive. Thanks. Thank Kai. you. Thanks for coming <laughs> yeah, yeah. in. Yeah, pleasure. Great. To thank talk. you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Genuine X podcast. If you're interested in any of the topics covered in the conversation, we've included some links in the show notes below. If you have any questions or thoughts, please do get in touch. Podcast at jackmorton.co.uk Don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes. Till next time, thank you very much.